You're listening to DraftKings Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Oh, thank you, Dan Devine of The Ringer. Shouting out the show, Basketball Illuminati. Word, yeah. Kept his third eye open. Illuminati was trending and Harden was trending. And you know what, man? I'm not going to ask a bunch of questions. I'm just going to take that win. There's that. And then a couple of days ago, Scott Foster was trending, which I'm sure the NBA loves Scott Foster trending on Twitter nationally. I'm sure Scott Foster loves it too. Oh, Scott, he definitely loves it. But I mean, I'm kind of seeing a lot of disinformation out there. Yeah? What sort? Disinformation? Yeah, there's a lot of fake news. On the internet? Yeah, I swear. I feel like people are getting carried away with the Scott Foster thing in some ways. Like... If you really want referee data, accurate referee data, you have to come here because there was a stat going around that was viral. A guy named Dan Baxter, James Harden, Chris Paul are combined one in 27 when Scott Foster refs their playoff games. And that's just simply not true. That's just not accurate. And a bunch of people retweeted it and it went around. And Yeah, Tom, it's funny because I was listening to a podcast the other day and they mentioned on the podcast that Chris Paul is actually two and 17 in games refereed by Scott Foster. So clearly that number seemed inaccurate to me as well. Wait, that's that's my podcast I do with Maze. It's the Underdogs podcast with Jordan Brenner, Peter Keating. I mean, that was the podcast you're listening to. I know your voice. That wasn't you. That wasn't you. It was a different podcast, I think. Maze, that was our pod. I, I ran through it for like an entire segment, 2-17, and 17, Chris Paul against Scott Foster in his career. Yeah, I mean, I got the clip right here. It is insane. The record, the track record of Scott Foster with Chris Paul. I'm going to give you the stats here. Scott Foster has refereed 19 playoff games when Chris Paul is playing. And Chris Paul's team in those 19 games 
is two and seventeen. That was you. Oh my god, you sound different, bro. Maybe it's a different crowd. I don't know. Sound nerdier over there. Like your third eye was shut. My assignment: uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. Have you heard of the Illuminati? The truth is out there, but so are lies. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> Welcome to Basketball Illuminati. I'm Tom Haberstroh, and as always, I'm joined by my Illuminati captains, Amin El Hassan and producer Anthony Mays. We got a jam-packed show for you today. Want to remind people to subscribe, rate, and review to keep our message out there. All the silencers, people want to keep us down. Don't let it happen. Rate, review, subscribe. Also follow us on Twitter, Bball Illuminati. And on Instagram, Basketball Illuminati, and email us at basketballilluminati at gmail.com. We love hearing from the soldiers out there. We're going to get into the Charlotte Hornets coaching vacancy. James Brago was fired last week. Very confusing until you keep your third eye open. We will review all of the history with Michael Jordan as the owner of the Charlotte Hornets slash Bobcats and how it involves Charles Barkley and the fallout, the beef there. You have to connect the dots. We're going to do that later. But first. You are listening to The Agenda with Tom Haberstroh and Amin El Hassan. The Agenda, where we talk about what everyone wants us to talk about, but we're going to give you the truth behind the big headlines. Of course, I mean, Maze, we got to talk about the Brooklyn Nets getting swept here. Kyrie Irving, no shows. Kevin Durant starts clapping back at people on Twitter, hits Charles Barkley. Ben Simmons was going to play, then he wasn't going to play. I mean, I'm just so tired of the Brooklyn Nets. I was hating on them all year, and they finally showed their true colors, getting swept by the Boston Celtics. Finally, we're done with this whole story. By the way, I love Lee Ellis's tweet. Did you see that? No. What did he say? He said, sources, Ben Simmons is now targeting game five as a return, (laughs) which is just tremendous, tremendous work by Lee Ellis. But this is the result of what I would say is kismet, I believe is what they call it, right? That this was always doomed to fail, not because the players aren't good enough or Kyrie's not good enough, but because the whole way this situation was put together is upside down. And lest you believe 
Tom Havistro, that something is going to change, that they've learned their lesson. They're going to do things in a more conventional way. Did you hear what Kyrie said after the loss? Did I hear it? Which quote? <laughs> yeah, which one? <laughs> There's so many. I feel like he's trying to put us out of a job. We should just play his press conference as our podcast. That is the pod. No, this is the show, and we're not going to change it. No, it's the quote where he says, When I say I'm, I'm here with Kev, I think that it really entails us, um, you know, managing this franchise together alongside Joe and, and Sean. And Joe and Sean, by the way, that's Joe Sy, managing partner of the Brooklyn Nets, and Sean Marks, president of basketball operations. Um, just our, our group of family members that we have in, in, in our locker room and our in our organization, you know. So um, it's not just about me and Kev. I don't want to make it just about that. We, we're cornerstones here, but, you know, we have been, we have a few other guys that are on contract and, I think we just got to make some moves this offseason, really talk about it, and um, really be intentional about what we're building and have some fun with it, make it enjoyable. And, um, you know, hopefully we get to start from day one just as a squad and, and as a family, and, and we just really worry about us. You know, sometimes I feel like the noise on the external world or outside noise could seep in. And, um, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not the type of person to allow that to happen. So um, as we build, together as, as a squad, I, I just think we need to be a, we need to be tougher mentally um, and uh, just more honest about what we want to accomplish and just stick to the goal, stick to the mission. This is what I don't get. He's going to be a free agent this summer. How is he out here saying that he's a franchise cornerstone when he might not even be back with the team? Joe and Sean might be like, you know what? See ya. Dude, open your third eye. He's going to be general manager next year. He's going to quit playing. No, I'm playing. But yeah, that's the extent with which Kyrie believes himself to be operating. Not only is he not embarrassed about this result, it takes it a step further and tasks himself alongside the owner and the president of basketball ops to be part of this new restructuring of the team. And to that I say, I don't know if I want my players to be worried about how the team gets built. Should I consult? Should I pass things along? Sure. But for him to feel like he's going to be an active participant, to me, it's just like, you don't get it, bro. You need to focus on being healthy and playing basketball and leave the front officing to the front office people. No, but I mean, he could be the coach. KD could be the coach. He could be the GM. KD could be the GM. He's just tearing down the curtain and shining light on what we all know, that the stars run these teams. Yeah, notice he didn't mention Steve Nash in that. Yeah, Steve will not be part of these conversations. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> He's always kept in the dark on these things, as it has been for the whole year. Look, Kyrie, the thing about him is he'll talk out of both sides of his mouth, keep his third eye open. It's very odd. But when he says... I don't let the outside noise seep in to what we do here. This is the same dude who smeared Lucky the Leprechaun on the court and then dropped double birds behind his head. And yes, maybe that was pointing to his third eye. But this guy revels in the noise. If anyone is inviting the noise and letting it seep in, he's pulling that door wide open and letting that noise infiltrate the team. Tom, three eyes, no ears. And apparently he doesn't have a mirror in his house either. Hmm? Kyrie's not about accountability. Did you hear him talking about how the Celtics are just a team gelling at the right time and the Nets, they're not there yet. You know, we, we're all just trying to gel. And, and usually you're gelling around the right time. And that, that team in the other locker room is gelling at the right time. They've been gelling since Christmas. You gelling? No telling how much I'm gelling. You gelling? You know I'm gelling. Hey, Ellen, you gelling? 
I'm gelling like a felon. You want some melon? Nah, but hey, I'm like mud gelling. I'm so gelling. So for us, we we're, we're just in a in a new experience uh, as a group, and and we just gotta respect that and just you know, bring everything we can to this next game and, and just do one possession at a time. You know, I don't want to be too cliche, but I don't have a lot of answers for how you make up time, you know, from October until now when, you know, usually teams would be gelling and things would be feeling good. But this is part of his own doing. He left that organization. He said, I'm going to be here. I want to resign and this is where I want to be. And then he peaced out. Now he's going to go out and say, hey, they've got a lot of players, four or five, a core of players gelling. And, you know, we're just searching for that for this team. That's the whole idea was creating this identity. And you didn't get vaccinated. You've been out for the season. You've been injured. And now we're supposed to talk about continuity. Kyrie Irving talking about continuity. He just discovered that it's important. (laughs) (laughs) This is what bothers me about him. And I don't think he's all about winning. Did you see what he did at the end of the first half in that game four? No. Did he burn some more sage? In addition to that, there was a play where Jason Tatum had the ball at the top of the key. Kyrie Irving was guarding Grant Williams in the corner. And for whatever reason, he decided to double Jason Tatum with several seconds left and leave Grant Williams, who's a 47% corner three-point shooter, one of the best in the NBA. Jason Tatum just turns wide open Grant Williams because Kyrie Irving's doubling, and Grant Williams hits the three. But that's not what I'm pointing out. At the end of that play, there was 1.4 seconds left on the clock, I mean. Mm -hmm. And I think it was Bruce Brown passed the ball to Kyrie. They were down by eight points with 1.4 seconds left. And what did Kyrie Irving do? He dribbled the ball out. Wow. He didn't even try to shoot. What is he doing? Like preserving his percentages? Like, I don't get it. He's preserving his field goal percentage. And I actually decided to look at this. Is Kyrie Irving, is this an anomaly? Kyrie Irving, does he protect his field goal percentage over the chances of his team winning? Is he all about winning? Because I think it's weird to say, but launching these last second heaves is to me a proxy of how much do you want to win basketball games? Am I crazy for thinking this? No, no, I'm going to say no. I think if you are more worried about your percentage than you are about the opportunity to get, because it's either zero or three point, it's not like it's going to end up backfiring on you and costing you points. The worst that can happen is the same thing that happens when you hold the ball. The best that can happen is you might actually get some points out of this. Right. You could be down five going into halftime and and help your team. But instead, he holds the ball and walks off the floor. And Ryan Rucco actually called him out on it. And then Kyrie, I mean, you're down eight. Keep the half-court shot. I mean, you might as well throw it up there. There's no field goal percentage to protect. So I looked into the last five seasons of heave data. You can get this on Basketball Reference, by the way. And heaves, they classify as shots beyond half-court. And we see this all the time in the NBA is a player will hold the ball just after the buzzer hits just so that they can still get the shot off and enjoy if it goes in or not. But they don't want to hurt their field goal percentage, the field goal percentage savings club, as they call it. And so I looked up the last five seasons, how many times Kyrie Irving has actually done a heave. And I wanted to see where that ranked in the NBA. It turns out Kyrie Irving has only done it twice in the last five seasons. Over 200 games, 230 games, he's only taken two heaves, which is less than one per season, guys. (laughs) 
he has the ball in his hands like almost all the time in these situations and he just does not do it. And I just think it's kind of selfish. And I wanted to see who does this the most. I had a feeling but I wanted to confirm who did this the most, the heave, the guy who loves launching these 80 foot bombs at the end of quarters. This number one in heaves launched 35 over the last five seasons. Do you guys have an idea of who that player might be? I'm going to throw out Steph Curry. Yeah, that was going to be my guess as well. Steph loves a good deep chuck but tom it sounds like you did your own research here what does that look like you doing your own research are you doing studies yourself are you in the lab on a nightly basis what are you doing do your own research do your own research do your own research do your own research doing your own research I'm not a scientist. I'm not here to tell everyone that this is it. For me, it's just um, just giving everyone a chance to do their own research and find their own knowledge. I did my own research, and Steph Curry is the answer, I mean. Yeah, there you go. I mean, he does it every opportunity he gets. And... Loves winning. Loves winning. That's Steph Curry. He loves to win. But you know who didn't get that message? Kevin Durant. He leaves the guy who loves winning above all else. Who cares about his field goal percentage? He's going to take those heaves because it means he has another chance to help his team win. But Kyrie Irving does not. Kyrie Irving has one of the lowest heave rates among all point guards in the league. But Steph Curry's number one. Luka Doncic is right up there. Kemba Walker. He does it too because those guys are about winning. But you know who else is at the bottom of the league, guys? In heaves per 82 games, I actually have that stat. Heaves per 82 games. Do you know who else is at the bottom? Another prominent point guard? That's right. Russell Westbrook? That's right. Someone needs to tell him you don't need to predict much. (laughs) Russell Westbrook has one heave in 353 regular season games over the last five years. One heave. Was it a mistake? And I think it was at the end of a game like he had to do it. Yeah. (laughs) And LeBron James also at the bottom of that list. So there was a match made in heaven, those two. Oh, yeah. Very protective of their field goal percentage and their numbers. So... Look, Kyrie, the only time that he's ever done it in the playoffs was 2016, game seven, end of third quarter. Like he will only do it, guys, when he absolutely has to. And he didn't feel like he had to in this game, game four, when he was about to get swept. Like, why would I even try? We're going to lose anyway. And then I thought of something else. What's that? What if there's something else we're missing? Is Kyrie Irving trying to tell us something? Is he trying to fix his box score line to send a message? And it dawned on me. I looked at his box score line in the playoffs. Uh huh. 21 three pointers. Okay. 21 free throw attempts. 21 rebounds. 21 assists. Two point attempts. 42 divided by two is what, guys? 21. Mother of God. Are they all multiples of three? Yes. And as you know, any number where the individual digits add up to three is divisible by three. And in this case, two plus one equals three. Keep your third eye open. Kyrie Irving was trying to send a message. 21 three-point attempts, 21 free throw attempts, 21 rebounds, 21 assists, and 42 two-pointers divided by two is 21. Two plus one is three. I'm picking up what you're putting down there, Kyrie Irving. Well... That's nice, Tom. Glad he left that coded message for us in the box score. Just for those Illuminarmy members who are really paying attention. But you said earlier that he didn't show up. 
He had a teammate who actually didn't show up for game four. And his name is Ben Simmons. I don't know what to make of this. There was a report from Shams at The Athletic that said in the meeting with the power brokers with the Nets, there is some frustration in the room of the fact that Ben Simmons said he mentally was not ready to play and that mental distress was triggering his back issues. So the mental side and the physical side are intertwined in one. Yeah, Tom, the brain bone is connected to the backbone. I don't know if you knew that. It's true. I didn't consider that. (laughs) No, but I hear you, Tom. That's confusing news. And it's not the only thing that's been confusing about Ben Simmons' messaging in the last year plus. Ben Simmons, since his horrible decision to pass the ball instead of dunking over Trey Young, has gone on to make some of the most baffling, increasingly poor decisions (laughs) off the court under the advice of the immaculate Rich Paul. And now here we are going into the off season. What's next? I can't wait. Maze, have you ever watched the TV show, The Increasingly Poor Decisions of Todd Todd Margaret? Margaret, (laughs) Starring David Cross? Yeah, this is The Increasingly Poor Decisions of Ben Simmons, starring Ben Simmons. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait. But what's next? If it's getting progressively worse, we haven't even seen the worst of it, Maze. That is a good question. So you're in the writer's room, Maze, for The Increasingly Poor Decisions of Ben Simmons. What do you do for the next season? What's next? How does it get worse? (laughs) Oh, man. I got it right here for you. So we're sitting down in an office, close up on Ben Simmons' face. He takes off those rose-colored glasses, looks right at the camera, breaks the fourth wall, Adam McKay style, trade demand. (laughs) Trade me. (laughs) I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Michael Jordan? Yes. How are you guys these days? Are you friends? Are you talking? Are you We're friends? not friends right now, and I wish him nothing but the best. Uh, you know, Michael is... people should know, by the way, for a long time, you guys were super Like close. a brother. He's like a brother. and always will be. But I think, uh, you know, he was offended by some things I said about him on television. But, so, you know, one of the reasons I don't trust the media is you can't have a double standard for guys you like and dislike. I said that Michael wasn't doing a good job. He's doing a great job now. They, they've gotten better. He made some great signing. But they wasn't doing good. And I thought the people around him, he didn't have good people around him. And I said that because I was asked that question. Your job is to be an analyst. It's not to protect your friend. It's not to protect your friend. And he's not feeling that. No, he's not feeling that. And I can promise you this, self. I never have a hidden agenda. And 
I'm going to be fair and honest. That's I, You're going to have my 100% honest answer and assessment. Are you hopeful that someday you guys will be close again? I would like that, but I, I'm not... I can't have people around me who, if I have to be honest about them, they're going to get mad at me. I mean, on Friday, the news dropped. Bit of a surprise in NBA circles. James Borrego, former head coach of the Charlotte Hornets, was let go by the Hornets for what exactly? I guess maybe two games they lost in the play-in tournament. They got blown out in those two games. The guy was the head coach for two straight improvements of 10 wins per season. It's the first time a head coach has ever been fired after improving the win total double digits in consecutive seasons. I didn't think that was a reasonable choice to fire Brig. I thought he was doing a good job. Lamelo Ball was an all-star in year two. He was rookie of the year in year one. And then you have Miles Bridges, who out of nowhere becomes a 20-point scorer and a candidate for most improved player. And to me, this really comes down to one thing. James Borrego, I mean, was the outsider. Mm. James Borrego came from not the traditional Michael Jordan tree. Mm -hmm. He came from the pop tree. He was one of Pop's assistants, came up through his coaching staff. Yeah. And it's very rare that Michael Jordan hires someone from outside his circle. And James Borrego was the outsider. And to me, that was a big problem for his longstanding future with the team. Now, Tom, when we talk about Michael Jordan's circle, I feel like we have to go back in time in history to define the people exactly what we mean by Michael Jordan has a circle and he rarely strays out of it. And what happens to people inside the circle when they stray out of it. I think those are two different things that we need to talk about right here as I'm sure we're about to open up a shit ton of third eyes. That's right. I mean, when you look at this Charlotte Hornets franchise, you see a lot of Michael Jordan's people, like literally his family is running the operations. What do you mean his family? Like, are we talking figuratively speaking? Like, yo... Maze, Tom, you guys are my family. Illuminati brothers. Yeah. It's two things, right? I mean, it's genetically linked to Michael Jordan. I'm 23 and me. He has his brothers in very high positions with the organization. Now, do you mean the brother over here? Or are we talking about brothers as in the son of Michael Jordan's father and mother? Look at me. Which version do you think I was using? <laughs> I don't know. Did you go hard R? <laughs> hey, brother. His COO for the Charlotte Hornets is his brother, James Jordan. The director of player personnel is Michael Jordan's brother, Larry Jordan, and his scout, one of the scouts in their basketball operations department, I mean, you probably know this, is Justin Jordan, Larry's son. So that's Michael Jordan's nephew. Surely it stops there. No, it doesn't. There's that family where it's genetic. And then there's this other kind of family, which is you're one of Michael Jordan's people, right? That go way back into history. Like Fred Whitfield, who is the president of the Charlotte Hornets, he was boys with Michael Jordan when Michael Jordan was in high school. Oh, wow. I knew him from being Jordan brand guy. I didn't know him that far. Went all the way back to when MJ was in high school. And at the behest of Michael Jordan, Fred Whitfield was going to get his law degree and he was going to join a sports agency to poach Michael Jordan from David Falk's agency. So David Falk, the famous agent for Michael Jordan, Fred Whitfield, he was asking Michael Jordan, like, hey, I think I'm going to go to this uh, this other agency because they really want you and they know that I'm close with you. According to Henry Abbott's story for ESPN, Michael Jordan sat down with Fred Whitfield and said, no, 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 
Why don't you come over here <laughs> and join David Falk? So that's how Fred Whitfield gets his start. Leverage! Leverage! He gets in with David Falk's agency. That's right. Becomes his right-hand man at Nike. And now he's the president of the Charlotte Hornets. There's that kind of family. Right. Who else fits that description? Rod Higgins. Teammate for them in Chicago. Early days. Yeah. No, no, not just teammate. I mean... When Michael Jordan took over as the head of basketball ops, when he was the minority owner of the Charlotte Bobcats, who was the president of basketball operations for his team? Rod Higgins. That's right. Former teammate, Chicago Bulls, Rod Higgins. And I mean, what was Rod Higgins and Michael Jordan's one of their first orders of business when he was hired to be the Charlotte Bobcats head of basketball operations? Was it Corey Higgins? They signed Corey Higgins, who wasn't on anybody's radar as an NBA player, but apparently he was on Charlotte's. But it's not like Michael Jordan is his godfather or anything, right? I don't know. Is he his godfather, I mean? Did he make him an offer he couldn't refuse? Yeah. The offer was, do you want to play in the NBA? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that that was their tank. That was their seven and 59 season was yeah, let's they, go sign Corey Higgins and play him out here 20 minutes a game. Eat your heart out, Sam Hinky. So on top of that, I mean, Maze, who is the first head coach that Michael Jordan hired for the Bobcats? This one, I don't know off the top of my head. Was it Sam Vincent? Sam Vincent. That's right. Avin, oh. former Chicago Bulls teammate there you go. of Michael Jordan, Sam Vincent. He lasted one year. So to recap, people he's related to, people that he played with or go back in the day with him who might as well be family. All right. Got it. That's it, right? Oh, no. I mean, there's layers to this. There's another family, another one down the road from Charlotte to place in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Oh, no. The Tar Heel connection. Baby blue blood is thicker than water. I mean, who is the head coach that replaced Sam Vincent? This one I do know. It's Larry Brown. That's right. Next town, Brown. Who went to Carolina? Mm -hmm. One of Michael Jordan's people, Larry Brown. He's also one of Pop's people. Maybe that's why. They trusted James Borrego. It was Larry Brown, also from the pop tree. Hmm. That's true. So, I mean, this whole Carolina connection just opens up a whole new universe for Michael Jordan to hire from. There's more? Who's the GM of the Charlotte Hornets, I mean? Mitch Kupchak. Tar Heel. Who's the assistant GM for the Charlotte Hornets? Buzz Peterson. Buzz Peterson, former roommate of Michael Jordan at Carolina. <laughs> That's got to be the deepest circle, right? Not only did you go to Carolina, in the Venn diagram, he's part of two families, right? Buzz? <laughs> no, surely they hired Buzz Peterson because they're the Hornets. <laughs> oh, you guys thought that was it? Is there more? There's more. Oh. How about this? The basketball ops assistant is... Mitch Kupchak's son. Wow, that's a double. Jesus, that's another, yeah. It's Carolina and its family coming together. Oh, there's more. The video coordinator, the head video coordinator. Come on, man. They can't be, <laughs> what? Who? Buzz Peterson's son-in-law who actually played basketball at UNC. Jesus Christ. Married into the family. Smart. Okay, so I feel like at this point, what's happening, what's shaping up is... Michael Jordan's version of my Doc Rivers decision tree that I unveiled years and years ago on NBA Tonight. Maze, can we clip that? Number one, have you played for me? <laughs> if yes, welcome to the Clippers. Get a dollar sign right there. Guys like Big Baby, Nate Robinson, Paul Pierce. If not, we go to the next question. Have you played well against me in the playoffs? If yes, welcome to the Clippers, Josh. <laughs> Pablo Prigioni, Hidu Turkoglu. If no, the third question is, we ever played in our driveway before? <laughs> if yes, welcome to the Clippers. Okay, let me let me try and do this on the fly. So Michael Jordan's decision tree, 
Starts with, are we related, right? <laughs> Docs has ended with, are we related? Michael starts with, hey, our, our number one thing is, are we kin at all? If so, welcome to the Hornets, right? If not, the next thing is, do we go way back where we might as well be related? If yes, welcome to the Hornets. Here's your Corona from Vin Diesel, your family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like a Fast and Furious type of family, right? If no, then did you go to Carolina? If yes, welcome to the Hornets. If no, is there anything else? Am I missing anything? Is there another layer to this, Tom? Yes. What's that? Do I hate you? <laughs> you going to do this? Okay, fine. That's all I needed. That's all I needed for him to do that. And it, it became personal with me. If yes, then get your ass on. So who would that be? It would be like Isaiah Thomas, right? That's right. Isaiah Thomas and one big name. One big mound round of rebound. Zion. Zion's already out? <laughs> oh, no. no. It's Chuck. Oh. It's Sir Charles. Charles Barkley. The original Zion. I feel like more people need to understand the crux of the beef. Don't say beef. Between Charles. Zion and Charles. Let's <laughs> choose our words a lot more carefully here. The crux of the fallout between Charles Barkley, who still to this day calls Michael Jordan one of his brothers. Again, family. Brothers? He would be in that family. He's definitely in the circle. He's got a corona from Vin Diesel. Absolutely. The Michael Jordan version of that is a cigar and a poker game until 5 a.m. And a pair of Hanes. That's right. And he picks up that Corona and smashes it against the wall. At one point in their relationship, everything breaks mm -hmm. and he's on the outs, just like James Borrego right now. How did that happen? Let's go back. I mean, we have to go back to 2005. One of the greatest NBA clips on daytime television is a sit down between Oprah Winfrey Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan that started this whole thing. What kind of friend is he? He just said he loved you. What kind I love of Charles. I think he's very honest, Don't sometimes you love that? brutally honest, yeah, yeah. and sometimes, you know, he, he speaks before thinking. Yeah. You know, and when he thinks about it, he realizes that was a dumb statement. Yeah. But that has happened we have. To you? <laughs> We have friends. We have very friends. seldom. <laughs> that is not. Okay. I don't think you can ever. I don't think anybody. They shouldn't ask me. It ain't like I walk in a place. Yeah. And say, hey, listen to me. They they were coming to me asking me questions. Yeah. And I'm gonna go always be honest. And that's the only thing I've always hated about the press. I says, wait a minute. I didn't come to your house and ask you questions. You came to me and asked me a question, and I was honest. Now you pissed. <laughs> you know. I, I have a great friend, too, who tells me the truth. But isn't it great to have somebody to tell you the truth? You never have to worry if they are in any way not telling you the truth. No, I have no problem with, with Charles. He's always going to tell me the truth. His truth. Yeah. You know, which is good. I mean, because it gives me something to think about from a different perspective. Yeah. I mean, my wife does the same thing. She gets, I mean, we can an argument. She tells me the truth. I got other friends that tell me the truth, but it's good to have a, a guy who's been in the same situation. Oh my God, is Michael Jordan gonna hire Oprah? <laughs> <laughs> it's her fault. Yeah. It's Chicago. Hey, you go way back all the way to Chicago. I think when you look at this situation, what she's getting at is you need someone in your circle to tell you no, to tell you that's a bad idea. And Charles Barkley was that guy for Michael, but you could hear it in his voice. I mean, you could hear it, Maze is Michael wasn't too comfortable with the idea of having that ombudsman in that circle, right? Yeah, he calls it Charles's truth. He's like, Charles is going to tell you the truth. 
his truth, right? Which is very different from the truth. Remember, we talked about Rod Higgins. We talked about Sam Vincent. We talked about all those people that were in his circle that were hired by the Bobcats and they had some awful seasons in there. They got some bad luck with not getting Anthony Davis, the number one pick and ended up with MKG. But Charles Barkley in 2012, he goes on Chicago radio and this is what he said. Tom, I've tried my hardest to find this source material, but it has been mysteriously scrubbed from the internet. <laughs> All we have is a quote. Isn't that convenient? This damning quote against Michael Jordan, somehow, some way, in this information age, where everything, we've got video of the first movie ever made from like 1908 with the Lumiere brothers or whatever the hell, I don't know, I'm not a film historian, what I am is a truth historian, I'm a truth buff, not a film buff, and I'm here to say that I find it quite convenient that this damning sound does not exist anywhere. But Maze, you have the transcript. You dug up the transcript. This is the best I could do, I mean, Quote, I think the biggest problem has been I don't know if he has hired enough people around him who he will listen to. One thing about being famous is the people around you, you pay all their bills, so they very rarely disagree with you because they want you to pick up the check. They want to fly around on your private jet so they never disagree with you. I don't think Michael has hired enough people around him who will disagree. He later on goes to say that he told Michael to not draft Adam Morrison. And Michael was like, nope, I think he's going to be great. And Charles vehemently disagreed with that take. And of course, we know what happened there. But the point is, after that, Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley don't have a relationship at all. Right. Because he said the thing. He said the truth. He said the thing that you're not supposed to say out loud. Well, Charles, I'm going to let you know right now, right here, we are the platform. We are the megaphone for the truth. So anytime you want to come on, buddy, and speak your truth, you ain't got to worry about it. It ain't going to get scrubbed because we operate outside of Michael Jordan's circle. But more importantly, we operate outside the circle of the cabal that controls all the information as it pertains to the NBA and to basketball. We are the basketball Illuminati. But I digress. Going back to the point, so that's what happens when you're outside a circle, when you get excommunicated as Charles did. Ironically enough, I mean, proving his point. Absolutely. Disagreeing with Michael Jordan, no longer around Michael Jordan. So, Tom, well, we could take a look at what are the hires that Mike has done that haven't been in the circle, right? Borrego's one, and he got let go. Mm-hmm. Rich Cho? Would he count as outside the circle? 100%. Rich Cho was brought in as the GM, and he's more of an analytics type, a Sam Presti type, Sam Hinkie type, more of the Sloan analytics conference type. Not a traditional pick by Michael Jordan. He didn't go to Carolina. He didn't play for the Chicago Bulls. But what was interesting is he didn't exactly get rid of Rod Higgins. He promoted Rod Higgins to the president of basketball operations. That's convenient. Mm. Yeah, we're going to hire Rich Cho, but mm, uh, everything in the buck's going to stop here with Rod Higgins and myself. So what happens after they go outside? I mean, when Michael Jordan decides, hey, you know what? This whole Carolina, Chicago family route isn't working. What am I going to do? I'm going to go bring in the outsider, a James Brago, a Rich Cho. But what 
happened right after Rich Cho resigned in the middle of the season, or at least he let it be known publicly that he wasn't going to get his contract option picked up in the middle of the season a few years ago. Very quickly, who was brought in? Mitch Kupchak. That's right. Family. Family. Buzz Peterson elevated, surrounded that organization with a lot of the blue blood. So that's what I'm thinking here, I mean, is... When we talk about where they're going to go next, you might hear some conventional names. Like I've seen it out there. Are they going to hire Frank Vogel or Dave Yeager or maybe Brian Shaw? But I don't think people are thinking about this the right way. No, I feel like we have to use my newly created Michael Jordan decision tree and start with first and foremost is anyone that's related to me. Anybody at all. I want to go out on a limb here and say, I don't think anyone checks box number one literally related to me, unless like Jeff Jordan or Marcus Jordan have suddenly taken a liking for the coaching profession. But I think we're still a ways away from that. So that's out. Okay. We move on to the next one, which is, are you part of family? Like Olive Garden style when you hear your family. Is there anybody who fits that bill? Got a couple names for you. Okay. Actually, you know what? I have one name. One name I've been thinking about a lot recently. It's a name that most people wouldn't think is part of Jordan's family, but he is Patrick Ewing. No way. Patrick Ewing. Did you work on that take, Tom? Dude, he's like 100 years old. Your eyes are blind right now. You got to open them up. Think about Patrick Ewing. What's his record in college? Hold on for a second. Let me look this up. You just keep talking. I'm going to pull this up. Patrick Ewing, Georgetown. What brand is the sponsor of Georgetown. What jerseys do they wear? What's the brand on Patrick Ewing's Georgetown fleece when he goes and does press conferences? Maze, what brand do you think that is? Jordan brand. That's right. And who was David Falk representing with Fred Whitfield back in the day as part of the clientele, the list, the roster that they had at Falk's agency along with Michael Jordan? Who is one of their clients? Patrick Ewing. That's right. Patrick Ewing. So he is inside the family. And not only that, I mean, before he took the Georgetown offer, and we'll get into that in a sec, he was also the top assistant for Steve Clifford when Steve Clifford was the head coach of the Charlotte Hornets. Patrick Ewing was the associate head coach. So he's already been inside the family. There's just one more move that has to be made. Tom, Tom, Tom. First of all, he's 60 years old. Mitch Kupchak is 67. Yeah, but he's not coaching. He doesn't have to talk to 19-year-old, 20-year-old LaMelo Ball and 21-year-old Miles Bridges, right? Number two, in five years at Georgetown, he's 68 and 84. He's 16 games under 500 in college. That's a 447 win percentage, including 8 and 25 last year at Georgetown. He's only been above 500 once. That's his second year. He was 19 and 14. Hardly anything to write home about. How do you even justify that? They're like, oh, yeah, this is my next pick. Someone who is out of touch with the current crop of players and also has shown empirically not to be such a great coach. Yeah, see, I think you're thinking about this wrong. They're too young to know who Patrick Ewing is. You know, when he walks into the gym, you don't want high schoolers and 18-year-olds. You want 20-somethings in the NBA. They know who Patrick Ewing is. See, I think it's going to be Patrick Ewing. Wait, let me think of a 20-something-year-old who's on. Montrezl Harrell. You think Montrezl Harrell knows who Patrick Ewing is? No. Yeah, exactly. Got my answer right there. Tom, I believe we're going to the third level of the decision tree, to the Carolina part. We talked about Charles Barkley being excommunicated from the circle because him and Michael have had words about that relationship. Well, you know someone who knows both guys, who's worked with both guys, technically? Kenny Smith. Kenny Smith works 
with Chuck on TNT, but he's also played with Michael Jordan at North Carolina. So this is the excellent, unbiased mediator. Knows both guys, loves both guys. Do you think that the beef can eventually be squashed? You know, apparently it's because of his criticism of his ownership of the Charlotte Hornets. Well, I think the one thing that uh, Charles and both Michael have is a lot of pride. A lot of pride. A lot of pride. So once the pride settles down, so you, you think eventually they'll be on good terms again? I think they'll be good, but I do think Charles was wrong. You think Charles was wrong in yeah, that one? Mike's doing a great job. And, you know, so he so he should really, do you think Charles should apologize and all yeah, that? Yeah, he should apologize. You know, he didn't have to, it just, it, he should apologize. He's doing a great job. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to tell him Thursday night. Tell him Thursday night. Tell him what's up. When it came down to either supporting his friend or endorsing the circle, Kenny chose the circle. We know Kenny Smith has flirted in the past with taking a job in the NBA. Some talk about front office, but also he's talked about coaching. Well, welcome to the family. Welcome back to the family, I should say, for Kenny Smith. How about that? Maze, what do you think of that as a selection? Pretty boring, but... Boring? Sure. Yeah, I could see how you got there based on the flow chart boring. that you drew up in this episode. Yeah. Maze, that's not boring at all. It's a double whammy on two levels. Not only is he going within the tree of the Carolina Blue Bloods, it's a direct shot at Charles Barkley. Two inside the box, two inside the circle. You got to open those third eyes up. Okay, okay. So if it's not Patrick Ewing and if it's not Kenny Smith, who's it going to be? I got another name for you, and this fits. And this guy is also in the circle. He checks the Carolina box. He's been a head coach, a successful head coach at the G League level. He's a former player. Former All-Star. He's a legend. I know where you're going with this. Yeah. And guess where he's from? A little town called Kinston, North Carolina, which may as well be NBA Town USA with the number of prospects that they put out over the years. He's the head coach of Vanderbilt University. His name is the one, the only, Jerry Stackhouse. Mm. How about that? I kind of like that one because he had a good year and he's within the family. He was probably considered before James Borrego, but I kind of feel like it's not splashy enough. Maze, do you agree? Like Jerry Stackhouse, not splashy enough. Patrick Ewing, Kenny Smith, big splash. I feel like they're going to go in a splashier direction. Well, allow me to climb up onto the diving board here and cannonball in for the biggest splash of all. There's one coaching candidate out there that has not been mentioned on this episode so far. And his name is incredibly hard to spell. Oh. Everybody just calls him Coach K. Oh, I thought it was going to be Wally Zerbiak. I thought it was Dave Yeager. It's harder to spell than both those names put together, back to back. And I know what you're saying, guys. No, Maze, that could never happen. That's the opposite, Maze. They're bitter rivals. Duke and Carolina. That's the last box. They're like oil and vinegar. They could never, ever go get Coach K. This is the Ben Simmons cascading bad takes by you. Coach K is going to be the next head coach of the Charlotte Hornets, a team run by Michael Jordan. Look, I'm not wearing this lamb, lime green Prada outfit for no reason. Okay. Sources tell me, uh, I'm going to reveal my source, it's Ben Simmons himself, that that is 100% lamb. I asked him if it was leather. He said, no, Jared, it is, it is a lamb. Yes, Duke and Carolina, one of the biggest rivalries in sports. But 
When Jordan went to Carolina, that was right at the beginning of Coach K's tenure, right? He hadn't really gotten his feet in the game yet. In fact, Coach K even sent him a recruiting letter in 1980. I went and got this letter myself. I mean, I went into the bowels of Mount Rushmore (laughs) and unearthed this letter. Okay. That's a cross-pod promotion right there for you. There you go. And he said, I'm sorry to hear that you no longer have an interest in learning more about Duke University. However, I do want you to know that my staff and I wish you the very best in your college career. You are a fine young man, and you should make an immediate impact on whatever you choose. Take care and best of luck. Sincerely, Mike Krzyzewski. Okay, I mean, I'm sure a bunch of coaches sent that letter. Oh, he wrote me a letter when I was 17 years old. Yeah, it's nothing. Yeah, absolutely not. You're right. Yeah, like he kept it. Later on, 12 years later, in fact, who was on the Dream Team staff? Lenny Wilkins. Chuck Daly. PJ Carlissimo. Alongside PJ Carlissimo and Lenny Wilkins is none other than Mike Krzyzewski himself. And I'm sending you guys this picture right now, this dream team photo. Take a look at that. And I want you to look back and to the left, back and to the left. Look who's standing on the same side of the photo there. None other than Coach K and Michael Jordan. Lenny Wilkins is standing between them. What are you talking about? They're not even standing next to each other. Oh, I mean, why don't you look through Lenny Wilkins and you can see that they're holding wow. hands behind his back <laughs> while the photographer snaps these photos. Everybody else has their hands where you can see them. Not Michael Jordan and Coach K. Their pinkies are hooked to one another. <laughs> no way. And I stole Tom's bit. I did my own research, folks. And after the Dream Team's first practice, Michael Jordan went over to Coach K and asked him to work with him on some offensive sets. The Bulls superstar treated Coach K with respect, gave him a chance to have an ego. And during an interview with Graham Bensinger in 2010, Coach K talked about how that interaction with Jordan helped set the organizational structure of the Dream Team. Wow. Quote, I actually think it was his way of making me feel comfortable. But he said, coach, and he said, please. And when it was over, he said, thanks. (laughs) He gave me a chance to have an ego. And then he called me with respect. There was no organizational chart where he was the top guy. And I'm here on the bottom on his team. Everybody was important. When you're here, you're family. This might be the worst conspiracy theory we've ever had on this show. man. Conspiracy theory? I mean, I was on this Long before there were confirmed reports from Daniel Law Sr. Esquire. That's right. His name is Law and he practices the law. And he's got a son, apparently, who's got the same name. (laughs) Keep it going. Family business. You got to keep the family in the business. (laughs) He reported that a black SUV containing... Mitch Kupchak. Oh, my God. I'm looking at this tweet right now. Are you serious, Maze? Buzz Peterson and Michael Jordan himself picked up Coach K from a small, out-of-the-way airport in Concord, North Carolina to avoid media attention. But you know who was on it? Why would he fly from freaking Durham to... Danny Law was on it, folks. And you know how I know this guy's legit? Because in another tweet, he pointed out that Michael Jordan's private plane, a Gulfstream G4, has the ID number N23 
six, MJ. Wait, that's Michael Jordan's private jet ID number? Yeah. Yo, get out of here. <laughs> Michael Jordan's ID number is 23 sixes, I'm guessing, for the NBA titles. How many rings he has? Obviously. Oh, I thought it was two <laughs> times three equals six. I thought it was more numerology. Well, that's true as well. That can't be real, is it? None of this is real. Maze sent me the tweets. The tweets are real. But this guy is citing flight aware data, and I'm pretty sure that you can't track Michael Jordan's private jet. You can't. So this is all just fake. You got ball sacked. I think May's got ball sacked is what I'm trying to say. Daniel Law, senior <laughs> Esquire. But the problem is, I mean, this is what's happening is people are tweeting this information, posing as real information, actual reporting, and it's fake. But it's being retweeted by lots of people. Like there's over 100 retweets on this quote unquote report about these private jets. It's important to point out to people that our podcast is devoted above all else to telling the truth. It's like the thing with Scott Foster at the beginning where we talked about, yeah, this went around and it went viral. But we're not here to go viral. We're here to tell you how things happen, how they really work, the mechanisms behind it. So even though it would be cool for Maze's wild as plot to be true. Reality is the information he cited there at the end was incorrect. And we're going to point that out no matter what. Just like we pointed out to you everything here that has been absolute truth. The makeup of the Hornets front office. The way Michael Jordan does his hiring. The way he does his firing. Guys, I did a little bit of research of my own. What? What now? Everyone's stealing my bit. That's what we want to encourage. We want to encourage everybody to do their own research. And I did my own research, guys. And thanks to the friendly people at probasketballtransactions.com, I was able to ascertain something very interesting, guys. Ascertain? Ascertain. Do you know how many guys from the Carolina tree that Michael Jordan has ever fired? I'm going to go with zero because Mitch Kupchak and Buzz Peterson are still running the show. Larry Brown resigned. Buzz resigned. Went and took a head coaching job, came back. Job's waiting for you. Came back to the nest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Michael Jordan, if you're there, you're family. Yep. And I don't think people quite realize how important that is, that loyalty to Michael Jordan. You saw the whole procession of events with Charles Barkley. I think it's going to be Patrick Ewing. He's within the family. He didn't go to Carolina, but he still wears that Jordan brand very proudly, doesn't he, guys? I think it's going to be him. I hear that might not be him. It might be Jay Wright. Ah, just doesn't have that Jordan connection. It might be Jay Wright. Yeah. He, he resigns abruptly, and then miraculously, there's a job opening at the Charlotte Hornets. I see the dots connecting there, but not quite as strongly as it is for Patrick Ewing. I think you can argue two things against Jay Wright. One is that he's an outsider. He's outside the circle, right? But second of all, and this is probably more important, if Jay Wright's going to make the leap to the NBA, is Charlotte really the best available organization and position for him to work for? Especially in light of our reporting here today. You think when Jay Wright listens to this, he's going to say, yeah, sign me up for the Michael Jordan experience where nepotism reigns supreme, where I will be treated as someone who is less than because I didn't come from inside this circle? No way, man. The guy's got options. There were people around the league. When Adam Silver put out a statement for Coach K, despite Coach K not having any ties to any NBA team, a lot of people were raising their eyebrows to that, being like, really? The commissioner of the NBA is going to put out a statement? Well, Adam Silver went to Duke. 
So these ties, these college ties do matter. And I don't see Michael Jordan reaching across the aisle and hiring Coach K. But Mays, maybe Adam Silver knew something. Hey, man, just wait until they trade Gordon Hayward for Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony. My eyes were opened when I started doing this research, going down this rabbit hole with Charles Barkley and Rod Higgins and Fred Whitfield. And I hope the listeners out there, too, have now opened their eyes, have taken the blindfold off. You might have been blind, but Amin, now I see. I mean, I got a DM from a fan of the show just wondering if the NBA team slash media talk about Ramadan is something you would address on Basketball Illuminati or is that too touchy of a subject? This person says he'd be fascinated to get Fast? your thoughts on it. Oh, Jesus Christ. Wow. I'll talk about it. It's no problem. As of our recording today, which is Tuesday, April 26th. Wait, wait. Fast and ate it? Wow. <laughs> Fast and ate it. Oh, my God. I really want to end the pod now. I really just want to walk away right now. We're not respecting Abid and his choices, Tom. As I was saying, I was rudely interrupted. As of the recording right now, Tuesday, April 26th, we are less than a week away from the end of Ramadan. A lot of people talked about Kyrie fasting and playing and kudos to him. But the reality is the Celtics had a guy who did that too. His name is Jalen Brown and he played exceptionally well. So I do want to recognize him and his endeavor. It's a task, man. And what ends up happening is beyond the day-to-day of sun up to sundown, no food, no water, no smoking, nothing. You can't enjoy any vice. You can't have any sustenance. That's hard enough, obviously. But then you add another layer to it that we're now on day 25 or 26 of this. So you've got an extra kind of cumulative effect that's been happening all month long. And I kind of saw some of that in Kyrie, to be honest with you. I saw it start to weigh on him. He already wasn't in great condition because he went from playing like twice a week to a bunch of times a week. But the cumulative effect of the fast really starts to weigh on you as it saps your energy to some point. So I don't know what else you'd like to know. There's so much more. We could probably do a whole episode on this. Do you think that Kyrie Irving has been the face of this Ramadan fasting unjustifiably so? Like other players are doing this too, but not getting nearly the same coverage? Yes, absolutely. And again, that's not Kyrie's fault. He's merely practicing and doing the best that he can. But the big media, the agenda-driven media, they want to make a story about him and this guy and this thing and it being so exotic and all. And while they're doing it and making a big deal out of it, it just shows the ignorance and shows the lack of knowledge of the people making these reports that no one made the connection that Jalen Brown playing in the exact same series is doing the exact same thing. I remember a couple of years ago when Ennis Cantor was doing it while he was playing for the Blazers during the playoffs. I remember that was one of my lowest points at ESPN. Because they did a whole story and a reported thing and a sports center thing. And I said, none of you guys thought, let's ask the Muslim guy who works on the NBA side for background, for research, to be involved in this in any way. 
they somehow it just glossed over the most glaring thing, which is it's not just Michael Jordan who's got a circle and we got insiders, outsiders. You guys are outsiders. I'm an insider. And you didn't think once to consult me on it. Well, it sounds like it's not just an episode. It's even more than that that we could do on this topic. An inconvenient truth. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.